Morning. Morning. Forgiving someone who has hurt you, who has let you down, forgiving someone who has betrayed you, disappointed you, not met your expectations, forgiving someone who has not upheld their end of the bargain, forgiving someone who has taken advantage of you or spread rumors about you, forgiving someone who's gossiped behind your back or wished you harm, forgiving someone who has broken a promise to you or dozens of promises to you, or forgiving someone who simply offended you is nothing short of craziness. Forgiveness is foolishness and folly. It's one of the most unnatural acts in which we can engage. Forgiveness makes no sense. It is completely counterintuitive, and it is absolutely unfair. You, the victim, choosing to let the person responsible for the offense off the hook with no revenge, no retaliation, no retribution, that's just plain crazy. Your middle name must be Doormat. Sigmund Freud had it right when he said one must forgive one's enemies, but not until after they've been hanged. <laughs> Forgiveness is one of the most counterintuitive, countercultural things we could ever do. But as followers of Jesus, we have no choice in the matter. As followers of Jesus, we are not just commanded to forgive. Our forgiveness depends on our willingness to forgive. In Jesus' economy, forgiveness ranks at the top with things like love and joy and truth and serving. And as unnatural as it seems, forgiveness is a non-negotiable for those of us that follow Christ. This morning, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been in all month called Baggage. We've been unpacking and hopefully letting go of some of the baggage that we drag through our relationships, that we drag through our lives, sometimes for decades. We've talked about how to deal with an inaccurate self-image, a self-esteem that either thinks too highly of itself or too lowly. We've talked about how to deal with regret, regret over what we did, regret over what we did not do. And then last week we talked about uh, some of the dad issues that probably every one of us in this room has struggled with. And this morning we want to unpack that most unnatural of all baggage, uh, unforgiveness. Even our closest relationships begin to sag over time under the strain of statements like, you let me down. You let me down again. You've let me down a hundred times. You're not meeting my needs. You've offended me. You broke your promise. You hurt me. I deserve better. On one occasion, Jesus is teaching a large group of people on a hillside. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the scene recorded. And he says these words. He says, For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I like that. That's, that's good. That seems... Fair, that seems the way it should be. But then he goes and he says this. He says, but if you do not forgive people their sins, if you withhold forgiveness, if you have a spirit that is unforgiving, if someone harms you or betrays you or hurts you or offends you or breaks a promise to you or talks about you behind your back 
or wishes you harm. He says, if you do not forgive that person, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I'm not sure that Jesus asks us to do anything more difficult than forgive those who've wronged us. I don't know about you, but there is something deep inside of me that wants to shout out to God, surely God, surely God, there is a point where my life matters more than forgiving someone else. Surely there is a point where me, where I, where my life and my feelings and my rights, surely there comes a point where I am more important than just forgiving someone. Jesus offers no qualifiers. He offers no footnotes. He offers no exceptions. He offers no asterisks after He says, if you don't forgive people, your Father won't forgive you. He lets that statement stand with no qualifier. God says, His forgiveness of me makes possible my forgiveness of others. I think a lot of times we struggle with forgiving the people in our lives who hurt us because we don't fully understand the extent of God's forgiveness of us. Because throughout Scripture, the two are tied together in such a way that you can't separate them. And so in the time that we have this morning, as we wrap up this series, I just want to unpack a couple of nuances of what it means to forgive those who wrong us. And as you well know, this is real easy to talk about. This is very difficult for us to do, for all of us. This is just hard stuff. But I want us to begin unpacking this baggage known as unforgiveness that tends to get so heavy in our relationships over time. So a couple of things that we need to understand this morning, and not just understand, but we need to commit to putting into practice. And the first one is this. Forgiveness is only the first step in a process, not the last step. Forgiveness is always the first step in a process, not the last step. I think sometimes that we think that if we can simply forgive someone, if we can simply say, okay, you hurt me, you betrayed me, you wronged me, but I'll get over it, I forgive you. I think we sometimes think that if we can just get to that point, that that must surely be the end of it. But according to Scripture, forgiveness is always the first step in the process of the relationship, not the last step. I mean, why is forgiveness even necessary in relationships? The Bible says that forgiveness is necessary because whenever we're offended or wronged, a debt is incurred by the one who offends us. So every time you're offended, every time you're criticized, every time you're abused or hurt or put down or disappointed, every time you don't have your expectations met, every time someone does something to you that is offensive, the Bible says there's a sense in which something is taken from you and a debt is incurred. Maybe that which is taken from you is your self-esteem. Maybe that which is taken from you is your respect. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your hopes or your dreams or your expectations. Maybe you had a dad who wasn't there for you as we talked about last week. And what was taken from you was the opportunity to have a dad who was at home 
who built into your life. Maybe you had a mom who could not emotionally connect with you. And what was taken from you, the debt that was incurred, was your mother robbed you of having a mother. Or maybe, maybe you have a spouse who has robbed you of having a good marriage. And that's the debt that they've incurred with you by their actions, by their words, by their lack of actions, by their lack of words. So at its most basic level, to forgive someone is to cancel a debt. It's to cancel a debt. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 18 for just a second. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus tells a story, a parable in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in the 23rd verse. He says this. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, was an incredible sum of money in those days, that man was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, notice, notice that the man, it's not that the man did not want to pay the 10,000 talents. The man couldn't have paid the 10,000 talents back had he lived 10 lifetimes. It was that much money. He could not pay the debt. There was no possible physical way for him to pay the debt. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the Bible says the servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me, he begged the king, and I will pay back everything, even though there was no possible way for this to happen. And the Bible says the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This was a very small sum of money. Probably about $10 million versus a hundred bucks in our economy. He grabbed the man and began to choke him and said, pay back what you owe me. And his servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Same words as this man had spoken to the king. But it says he refused. Instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then the Bible says, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. To forgive someone is to identify exactly what has been taken from you and then to cancel that debt for all time. What was taken in this case was money. And that debt was canceled. That debt was forgiven. So often you and I, we want to hold on to the debt. And even though we say we forgive someone, even though we mouth the words, and even though maybe in our heart we, we do truly not want to hold that thing against them, the truth is we, we like to hold on to the debt. We like to build a case and to hold on to that case and maybe to let some other people know about the case that we've built against this person and we want to convince ourselves and others that we're really the victim here. And so we keep that sort of in our back pocket. 
The Bible says until we have identified what was taken from us and until we have specifically canceled that debt so that that person no longer owes us anything, we've not forgiven them. But again, that's simply step one. That's not the end of the process. That's the beginning of the process. Eliminating the debt that someone has incurred with you as a result of their wrongdoing, as a result of their offense, now simply frees you and me up to seek God's guidance and God's direction and God's leadership as to how we need to respond to the one that we've just forgiven. And this is, this is now the process. Forgiveness is the first thing. And now we enter into this process of figuring out, do we reconcile with this person? Do we set some boundaries up with this person? Do we act like nothing ever happened with this person? How should we respond? Are we no longer allowed to feel hurt even though we've forgiven this person? And what if they offend us again? What if they wrong us again? What if they do the same thing that we just forgave? What if they do the same thing again? The Bible says after you've forgiven someone, and only after you've forgiven them, in other words, canceled their indebtedness to you so that they no longer owe you anything, only then are we in a position to begin dealing with the relationship, rebuilding it, reconciling it, setting boundaries, putting it on hold, or walking away from it. There's an old adage that we sometimes hear in relation to forgiveness, and that is forgive and forget. You realize that that is completely impossible? Who's the only one who can forgive and forget? God. The Bible says that when we come to God and we ask God to forgive our sins and our sinfulness, that He takes our sins, He takes our transgressions and our iniquities, and He throws them as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers them no more. God has the potential in His sovereignty to forget our sins. But human beings do not have the potential nor the capacity to forget hurt and betrayal and offense. And nowhere in the Bible are we told to forgive and forget. Rather, we're told to forgive and obey. We're told to forgive, to cancel the debt of the one who has hurt us, and then to obey God in how we interact with that person. Whether we seek reconciliation or restoration or, or whether we pull back or whether we set some new boundaries. But only, only after we've canceled that debt and said, you no longer owe me anything, it is only then that we can enter that process of hopefully rebuilding that relationship back or putting some boundaries on that relationship so that it can function in a healthy manner. So that's the first thing we need to understand about forgiveness this morning. Forgiveness is not just forgiving and forgetting. Rather, forgiveness is the first step in what usually is a fairly lengthy process. It's not the last step. There's a second thing we need to understand about forgiveness if we seriously want to unpack that bag, that baggage in our lives, and it's this. The ultimate goal of forgiveness can never be to change the one I'm forgiving. The ultimate goal of forgiveness can never be to change the one that I'm forgiving. In other words, <clears throat> my forgiving someone who wrongs me 
cannot be subject to their response. I'll forgive you if can never be a statement we utter or think. I'll forgive you when I think you've suffered enough for what you did to me. I'll forgive you if you never hurt me again. I'll forgive you when I've gotten over my hurt and pain. I'll forgive you when I'm able. I'll forgive you if you change. None of those statements are biblical forgiveness. Because forgiveness can never be based on condition. The ultimate goal of forgiveness can never be to change the one I'm forgiving. If your forgiveness of someone who wrongs you is a conditioned, if it's conditioned on anything whatsoever, then it actually limits their ability to pay the debt that they owe you, which, if you've forgiven them, you have already canceled. When we truly forgive someone, we say, you no longer owe me anything. That debt is canceled. We are clear. You may still have hurt. You've still got to work through the relationship. You've still got to figure out the boundary thing. You've still got to figure out how you want to reconcile. You've still got to figure out maybe this is a relationship you need to walk away from. You've got to figure all those things out. But, and you're in a position to do that once you have canceled that debt. But the minute we put a condition on the person that we are forgiving, it's evident we've not canceled the debt. And we've limited their ability to accept our forgiveness. On one occasion, Peter asks Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who does something wrong to me? Is seven times enough? Peter thought he was being actually quite generous by offering to forgive someone seven times. Uh, The typical response would have been three in his day. And Jesus says, Peter... Not just seven times, but 77 times. Some translators take this idiom that Jesus uses and says that it should be translated not 77 times, but 70 times seven times. Regardless, Jesus' point is quite clear. You can't place a number of times on forgiveness. You can't say, I'll forgive you this time, but not this time. Or I'll forgive you a hundred times, but not the hundred and first time. And I feel like Jesus, I feel like he, He must have left part of the story out because surely He needs to qualify that, but He doesn't. His point is, you and I are to forgive as long as offense is made. Unlimited forgiveness, 77 times or 70 times 7 is only possible when by grace you and I forego the payment on what we're owed and we expect nothing in return. And that's just hard. It's just hard to do. And it makes us feel like a doormat. And it makes us feel like our rights aren't being respected. And you walk away having canceled someone's debt and more often than not you don't feel good about that. You feel pretty uh, upset about it. But Jesus said, the goal of forgiveness is never to change the other person. The goal of forgiveness is for you and I, when we've been offended or wronged or betrayed or hurt, to cancel the debt so that the relationship can proceed. There's another thing that we need to understand about forgiveness this morning. 
And that is when I can't forgive someone, the problem is not them but me. You say, whoa, whoa, that's backwards. You're right, it's backwards day in Jesus' world. That's the way Jesus thinks. If I can't forgive someone, if I can't cancel the debt of someone who has hurt, wronged, betrayed me, then the problem is not them. The problem is me. But you don't know what they did to me. Doesn't matter. You don't know how big a debt they've incurred with me. Doesn't matter. Jesus offers no exceptions. He offers no qualifiers. He offers no footnotes. He offers no asterisks. He says, you forgive as you've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. He doesn't just tell us to forgive. He always links us forgiving others to the extent to which we have been forgiven. He goes on and he says this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your sins and in your sinful nature, but God in Christ made you alive. He let Christ make you alive. And when he, when he forgave all your sins, God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and he nailed them to the cross. And then in chapter 3 of Colossians, he says this. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And he brings it up again. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When I'm unwilling to forgive someone who wrongs me, it simply means that I think God has let me down. When I'm unwilling to forgive another human being, it means that I believe God has let me down because we are always to forgive in accordance with how we've been forgiven. One of the reasons I think we struggle, as I said, with forgiving others is because we don't fully understand the extent the limits to which God has gone to forgive our sins and our sinfulness. A lot of times we ask God to forgive us when we do something wrong, but we're not really asking Him to forgive us. We're asking Him to excuse us. And there's a huge difference. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this terrible thing, but I accept your repentance. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us will be exactly as it was before. That's what forgiveness is. But excusing something says, you know, I know you couldn't really help it. I know you didn't really mean it. So you're, you're really not to blame. But if no one is to blame, then there's nothing to forgive. What we call asking God to forgive us very often is simply asking God to accept our excuses. Because the deal is, we have problems taking God at His word. We have, we have problems believing that a holy, righteous, just, perfect God can forgive our sinfulness and remember it no more. And so we think in our minds, we have to rationalize that there's no way God will forgive and forget unless He's satisfied that some sort of case can be made in our favor. So we offer all these excuses or all these reasons why we did what we did or didn't do what we should have done. And we ask God to forgive us, but what we're saying is, please excuse my behavior. 
When it's all said and done, though, excusing behavior does not work in our favor. Only forgiveness works in our favor. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, the sin that is left over without any excuse after all allowances have been made and seeing that sin in all its horror and dirt and meanness and malice and nevertheless being wholly reconciled to the person who has done it. To be Christian, he writes, means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And that's where forgiveness always comes back to. We're to forgive others as God has forgiven us. You say, but what about, what about, what about, what about those people in my life who don't just hurt me, but continue to hurt me? What about the, the husband who continues to be detached after he's apologized for being detached? What about the wife who continues to nag after she's apologized for nagging? What about the bossy mother-in-law who continues to be bossy after she's a... Mother-in-laws don't apologize. She just continues to be bossy. What about the selfish daughter or the deceitful son or the nosy neighbor or the gossipy co-worker or the controlling boss or the inept salesperson or the manipulative friend or the vengeful enemy or the rude stranger who after they say, I'm sorry, I won't do this again, they do it again and again and again and again and again and again. We simply need to ask God, well, God, how do you deal with me? Because I sin again and 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 then I die. But God never once says you've reached your quota. You've reached your limit. There are consequences? Yes. There's pain? Yes. There's broken fellowship? Yes. But never once does God turn me away and say, I don't think I'll forgive you this time. And so He simply says, forgive others as you've been forgiven. And if you choose not to forgive others, don't expect your Heavenly Father to forgive you. There's a fourth thing and a final thing that we need to understand about forgiveness. And that is to forgive and to be forgiven. You have to surrender. To forgive another person the debt that they have incurred with you you have to surrender to them. You say, whoa, whoa, they're the ones that did me wrong. Right, and you have to surrender. And to accept the forgiveness of God for your sin and your sinfulness, you have to say to God, I surrender. You see, the condition of forgiving is to be forgiven, and the condition of being forgiven is to forgive. 
And it's forgiving another person. That's the only way to break the cycle of blame and pain in a relationship. There is no other way. Forgiveness breaks the cycle. It does not settle all the questions of justice. It does not settle all the questions of fairness. It does not settle all the questions of who's right and who's wrong and who's the victim and who's not the victim. It does not settle all those questions and it doesn't even attempt to settle those questions. But what saying... I surrender to the one who has betrayed you does is it allows the relationship to start over. It allows the relationship to start from a clean slate because the debt has been canceled. Forgiveness puts the forgiver on the same side as the person who did the wrong. And that's why we struggle so much with it. Because I don't want to view myself like the person who wronged me. They're bad. I'm not as bad. They did me wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve that, or at least not to deserve that to the extent that they did that. But when I wave the surrender flag, when I cancel the debt that they have incurred with me, when I forgive them, it places me on the same side as the offender. And we begin to realize that there's really not much difference. You know, we know forgiveness is good for us and we know forgiveness is good for those who need it. But even at its very core, forgiveness is unfair. Forgiving someone seems unfair because it is unfair. Tucked away in the middle of Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul shines a little bit of light on the nature of forgiveness. He's in the middle of a section of Scripture and he talks about uh, how he hates, uh, we should hate evil and we should be joyful and we should live in harmony and we should not be conceited and so forth. And then he says this in chapter 12, verses 9, verse 19. He says, And do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, in the end, when everything is said and done, forgiveness is simply an act of faith on our part. Forgiveness is an act of faith on our part that somehow, some way, in a way that makes sense, God will settle all the issues that deal with justice and all the issues that deal with fairness and all the issues that deal with who was right and who was wrong and who was the victim and who was not. And it's simply an act of faith on our part to wave the flag and say, I surrender. I will let God deal with those weightier issues, but I will cancel the debt of the one who has hurt me. On your chair when you came in this morning, there was a little card that simply says, I surrender. If you've got one of those, pull one out. If you don't have one, grab one off the chair next to you. I want you to do something for me. Actually, it's not for me. I want you to do something for yourself. I, I want to encourage you to write on this card a couple of things. The first thing I want to encourage you to write, and you can write it anywhere on this card, and, and then I want you to keep this card. I want you to maybe put this card in your Bible, or maybe put it in your car, or maybe put it on your refrigerator. Depending on what you write on there, you may or may not want to put it up there. Um, 
But I, I want you to keep this card to where you see it regularly. You don't have to look at it all the time, but where you're going to see this card on a regular basis, okay? And I want to encourage you to, to write a couple of things on this card. The first thing is, uh, if you're someone, for whatever reason, if you're someone who's never surrendered to God, if you're someone who's never waved the flag to God and said, God, I surrender to you. I need a Savior. I am sinful. If you're someone who's never surrendered to God and asked Him to forgive you for your sins and your sinfulness, and asked Him to take control of your life and to become your Heavenly Father through what Christ did on the cross, if that describes you, I want you somewhere on this card just to acknowledge that. And again, this is just for you. No one's going to see this card. This is just for you. And, and just write something on that card that signifies, you know, I need to surrender to God. Maybe you want to write the date, whatever today is, October, the end of October, close to the end. You want to write the date, it's the 25th, and maybe just initial it. Or maybe you want to write out a sentence that says, says, God, I surrender to you. Please forgive me. Or maybe you want to write out Romans 12 or John 3.16. Maybe you just want to say, God, please cancel my debt. You write something on that card if that describes you and where you're at right now. And you just ask God to forgive you for your sins. And the Bible says He is faithful and just to do that. He will cancel your debt and He will remember it no more. Now, that's going to be pertinent to some of us in here. But what I'm going to say next is going to be pertinent to every one of us in here. And that is, maybe what you need to write on this card is the name of the person that you need to forgive. You say, well, I'm not real sure who that is. Yeah, you are. It's the face that has repeatedly come into your mind for the last 33 minutes. That's the person. Maybe you need to write their name on the card and say, I cancel your debt. Or maybe you need to write out Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Or maybe you need to just write the date and say, today I will forgive and write their name. But every one of us has someone in our life that we struggle with forgiving. We struggle with canceling the debt. We forgive them. We say we forgive them. And we really, really in our heart of hearts want to forgive them, but we keep grabbing the debt back and saying, oh, 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 you've not paid this off yet. You still owe me. You need to once and for all say, I will cancel that debt and you will never be responsible for paying that back to me. That's forgiveness. And so somewhere on that card, you write, your commitment to do that. And then you start asking God to help, help you do that, help you work that out. I'm going to ask the band to come back up uh, and they're going to sing another song for us as we close. But I just encourage you to keep this card, after you've written on it, someplace where you're going to see this on a regular basis. Because if you're like me, if you're like me, you need constant reminders that God has forgiven you, that He has canceled your debt, and that He has 
remembered it no more. And if you're like me, you need constant reminders that once you cancel the debt of another person, you can't take that debt back and say, whoa, 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 you owe me. No, it's done. And so just let this card serve as a reminder that we need to forgive as God has forgiven us. So let me pray real quick and the band's going to sing for us. Father, it is so difficult to deal with some of these bags that we tote through our relationships and tote through our lives. And our very, very humble prayer right now is that You would help us unpack this baggage whether it's our self-image, whether it's the regrets that we live with, whether it's the issues that we have with our dads, whether it's unforgiveness, that You would help us just start unpacking those bags and allowing You to claim that baggage so that we don't have to tote that around our lives any longer. We so want to follow You unhindered with all this junk And we so want to relate to each other unhindered from all this relational stuff that gets in the way of community and communion as You created us to experience. We love You and we thank You that we can trust You to work in each of us in these ways. May You find us teachable. May You find our hearts pliable and soft as we respond to Your Spirit and to Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.